going, Champagne Sharks? This is uh, Trevor Beaulieu, and we have a guest tonight I was just really looking forward to having for a while, but uh, before I introduce her, let me just do some quick house house cleaning or housekeeping or whatever. Uh, go to patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks for $5 a month. You become a member and access to all the back premium only episodes, so subscriber only episodes. There's about, there's over 120 at this point, episodes that will get instantly unlocked. You become a member of the voice and chat discord server where you get to talk to other fans but you also get previews of upcoming guests and you get a chance to ask them questions that we pose to them when we have them on so if you were a member you would have known about today's guest and also have had a chance to pose any questions that you had to her and the last thing is you the newsletter that we have started so patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks and without further ado we have our guest margaret kimberly if you can uh introduce yourself and where to find you sure hi thank you so much for uh inviting me onto champagne sharks i'm very happy to be here i'm margaret kimberly i'm an editor and senior columnist of uh, black agenda report that's blackagendareport.com news commentary and analysis from a black left perspective. And I'm, um, uh, you can also find me on Twitter at freedom ride blog. And I'm, uh, also on Patreon, patreon.com slash Margaret Kimberly. Great. Great. And if you could tell us a little bit of, um, your past, your politics, your, you know, anything relevant that will help people understand your viewpoints and how you view things? Sure. I was, I, for most of my life, I was a Democrat, as uh, uh, almost every Black person is in this country, um, more on the liberal spectrum. And um, I, I thought of that as the left, um, like, uh, well, I'll talk a little bit more about that uh, as we go along in our conversation. Um, a turning point for me, though, politically, was the election theft in 2000. Uh, the presidential election was stolen from Al Gore and the Democratic Party, but the Democrats didn't bother to put up a fight. And this was a, um, a radicalizing moment for me. Uh, most of my life, it was a theoretical uh question that uh, it was possible for a candidate to win the electoral college uh, while losing the popular vote. But, you know, I was always taught that that was something that was very unlikely or would never happen. And then it did happen. And uh, it happened because of the theft of Black people's votes, mostly in the state of Florida. And the Democratic Party uh, said little about it. And then I realized that this was a, um, um, that is what the Democrats usually do. They, uh, Democrats depend on black votes, but they wish that they didn't. And so they, um, the voter suppression that uh, guaranteed a victory for Bush, basically what they did in Florida, Florida, uh, until recently, until just this year, uh, anyone who had committed a felony was basically barred from voting for life. And um, they um, um, took people off of the rolls. They said that people were former felons when they were not. And this is something that's used across the country with something called cross-check. And they will say that someone named uh, uh, John Williams was uh, committed a felony in the state of New Jersey. But now that person lives in, say, Georgia. 
and they take anybody with that same name off the um, off the rolls. So that's what they did in Florida, and they stole the election. But uh, at that point, I uh, and I had voted. By the way, I voted for Ralph Nader that year. At that time, I felt uh, I felt that. Um, once I learned how, and that episode explained to us how the Electoral College voted, and I realized that people who lived in solidly blue state or solidly red straight states should vote however they wanted to, and only people in swing states had to vote for Democrats. But then uh, my politics changed. I started, uh, this was in the early O's, and people, everybody seemed was blogging, and I started writing too, and um, I started writing for a uh, Black commentator. And Glenn Ford uh, was um, was at Black Commentator and along with Bruce Dixon. And uh, for a variety of reasons, we left and we founded Black Agenda Report in 2006. And writing for Black Agenda Report, learning from my, uh, my uh, colleagues and comrades there and being exposed to people who truly were leftists from the socialist to the Marxist uh, uh, side, people who identified themselves in... Uh, various ways, I was radicalized even further. And I realized the shortcomings of my education. It's one of the reasons I uh, wrote my book, Presidential Black American, the Presidents. Uh, Americans, regardless of where uh, we uh, fit on the political spectrum, are almost all miseducated. And um, we have to make uh, serious efforts to find out the truth of history in this country and history of, uh, of the world. Uh, uh, so, a dubious distinction that Black Agenda Report had in 2016 was when you guys were listed as uh, fake news uh, during the beginning of what became a really increased liberal derangement um, that started yeah, but that was that was pretty interesting that uh, they started calling you guys um, fake news. And uh, what do you think was behind that uh, idea among liberals that uh, you guys were fake news? Well, they after Hillary Clinton lost, um, there were many different uh, efforts to uh, excuse themselves, to avoid blame for what was clearly their fault in Donald Trump's uh, victory, and also just to solidify the, uh, the war party, the surveillance state, which is, which is quite bipartisan. And we ended up on uh, a list, it was called Propaganda or Not, Proper, Prop or Not on the Washington Post, uh, in the Washington Post, which means it was a Democratic Party project and a Jeff Bezos pro- project. And we were yeah, among, yeah, that's uh, the thing. It wasn't a crackpot like a uh, little blog. It was Washington Post. Yeah. Oh yes, absolutely. And that tells you how far up this effort uh, went uh, in the hierarchy. Uh, we were uh, listed among um, many sites that were considered um, under Russian influence, and um, uh, we are very proud of the fact we were the only. First of all, Black Agenda Report is. Uh, one of the few, it's the only website um, giving uh, news and analysis from a Black left perspective, and one of the few with uh, original, uh, providing original material. So we were very proud to be the only Black site on the proper not list. And being on the proper not list was very simple. It meant that um, uh, 
these were sites that uh, did not follow the official narrative, didn't follow the corporate media narrative or the um, uh, the narrative from the two major political parties. So it was proof to, to me and to anybody paying attention that this was a list of good journalism. And uh, uh I immediately after that election, I don't know if uh, you recall, just a few days after the election, Obama went to Germany and he's, of course, meeting with Angela Merkel, the chancellor. And um, uh, he kept talking about fake news and you can't believe everything you hear and you have to be careful of the Internet. And I was like, what is this about? And this was in the wake of the debacle, the Democratic Party debacle that uh, resulted in Trump winning. But I, I think it's a larger issue, too. They uh, realized in uh, messing up so badly that they had to crack down even more than they had already on um, uh, the means of uh, uh, communication on the Internet. Uh, and that was the beginning of uh, Russia had been demonized for some time after the Russian government picked itself up from the pieces of the collapse of the Soviet Union and proved itself to be a rival to the U.S. and its allies and started to push back against the encroachments against uh, Russia. Um, uh, so they had been demonizing Putin. Uh, Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton began RussiaGate. Uh, she was anxious to find to create some dirt uh, to put on Trump because of her problem. Everybody acts now like uh, this was a minor thing, but it was not. The fact that as Secretary of State that she used a personal server to communicate um, a secret email server, not using the State Department server ever. This yeah, is a serious was- legal problem. And it was really the start, I think, of a lot of unhingement of, um, if that's a word, of the of the mainstream liberal base. Because the thing that they started to really downplay, you know, to A, support Hillary and the centrist DNC, but also to oppose Trump at all costs, that was one of the biggest um, things that they turned a blind eye to. And it's a trend that I think is continuing up until this day with Joe Biden and the rape allegation and like some new some new some new evidence came up regarding Tara Reid, the accuser's mother calling calling Larry King. And I saw a bunch of people tweeting like, do you know, Larry King once worked for for, for RT or Russia Times as if <laughs> this was a decades long plan. Like, you know, uh, like like this. I can't believe the legs, this Russia thing, the same one that 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 pulled in Black Agenda Report has that is well it's 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 a classic case of propaganda and a, a lot of propaganda is very simple you just repeat something over and over and over again and you exclude any other voice so ever since election day in 26 well during the election even Hillary Clinton uh called Trump uh Putin's puppet and this was to cover also for the fact that Bill Clinton had um, uh, his uh, so-called foundation, the Clinton Foundation, which is really a influence peddling slush fund, had done deals with, among other countries, with Russia and um, um, consummated an arrangement to sell uh, uranium in, that was in Canada to the Russians. And that he gave a speech in Moscow, was paid half a million dollars to give a speech and met with Vladimir Putin. And um, this is one of the things WikiLeaks revealed uh, when they uh, uh, dumped uh, uh, the DNC emails. They knew polls showed that this was a neg- would be a negative for Hillary Clinton. 
So she started trying to insulate herself and her dirt and her stupidity by uh, projecting and saying that Trump was the one who was um, uh, doing business with Russia. He did say that he thought uh, he didn't see a reason why the U.S. had to have a bad relationship with the, the Russian government, which is a you know makes sense to me. And in general, the Russians are more anti-China and the Democrats are more anti-Russia. Although now everybody's beating up on China, but anyway, that's I'm getting ahead of myself. So that was the beginning of RussiaGate and her need to cover for herself to try to pin something on Trump. She used her contacts in the surveillance state to try to get uh, Trump people. Uh, and these were minor people. If you follow RussiaGate, you may know the names of people like uh, uh, George Papadopoulos and others who were uh, entrapped into saying things that made it look like Trump was a, um, a Russian stooge. Um, and so it starts during the campaign. Uh, uh, also on the uh, election night, Hillary Clinton's people started talking about blaming Russia and saying that there was Russian influence uh, that created her um, uh, her victory. So we've heard about Facebook memes and even two years, and Trump, of course, being stupid, uh, has uh, not helped himself. If he had not fired James Comey, there would have been no Mueller investigation. That was a result of him firing the FBI director. And uh, But two years after the Mueller investigation, what did we end up with? Who was indicted for colluding with Russia? Nobody. Um, they indicted hey, some hey, Russians... Hey, no. What's that? You know, two, you know, two bad things that I think came out came out of that. Well, well, oh, sorry. There's two things that I think I see the DNC doing that I think is a very big trap. It's going to lead to um, them losing in 2020. Is first what you just said about putting all their eggs in one basket. They've built no other alternative negative narratives against Trump. I mean, to a degree, there was the Russia, the, the Muslim ban, and there was the ICE and kids in cages, but. Mm -hmm. That was very, very small in comparison to the sheer amount of ink tweets, Facebook posts, reports, um, mainstream legacy media coverage of this Russia thing. And like you said, you know, it led to nothing. And then the second thing is treating uh, Joe Biden with kid gloves up until now, including um, Bernie Sanders <laughs> uh, last minute uh run against Biden when there was just those two left, where everyone was afraid of hurting him because we need someone to run against Trump and we can't damage him. So basically, the public is going to be hearing about all of these things for the first time uh, during his run against Trump. They're not really going to be inoculated against a lot of these um, claims against Biden, against like, you know, the nepotism, the scandals, the rape accusations, the segregation past. And there's, he's not really going to be um, like, these things are really going to be tested, you know? And, and what you were saying about what you, what you were saying right now about the Russia thing and how, and how they put all their eggs in one basket just had me thinking about like, basically everything you're saying, it's almost like 2016 just never ended. It's, it's just one, one long four year year. Yes. Because, because the Democrats, um, they don't, it, it would be very easy for them to win if they just met the needs or or had policy uh, initiatives that met the needs of the people, they would win. But starting in the 90s, starting with Bill Clinton, they chose to become the party of corporate interests too. So that means when Bernie Sanders, their, their priority this year was defeating Bernie Sanders. I don't even think they care about whether Biden wins or not. Uh, so when oh, Bernie totally Sanders 
says that we need Medicare for all. Well, if you had Medicare for all, you wouldn't need private health insurance companies. So um, anything that helps the people is something that hurts their donor class. And so their priority is making their donor class happy and crushing anybody who threatens that relationship. So they can't do what they can't do what they need to do in order to win. They um, nibble around the edges. The Republicans are racist enough and right wing enough that they can get a lot of votes just by saying, well, we're not the Republicans. And that's easier with Trump. But uh, they can't win as easily as they should be able to because of their refusal to do the things that they know would help them win. They knew Bernie Sanders could win. It's just the opposite of what they said. They were afraid Sanders would lose and they'd lose seats. They knew he could win. Although they lost a thousand seats around the country when Obama was in, nobody said anything about losing seats then. So, uh, So this is where we are. We have these two horrible parties, one that's openly right wing, openly racist, the, uh, we have a far right party and a center right party. And, and actually, I don't even know if the Democrats are center right anymore. Uh, what is the meanings of left and right are so skewed in this country. Uh, yep, the yep. Democrats are, are supposed to be the left wing party, but you, you wouldn't know that. They're just less right wing than the Republicans. And actually, you know, it's interesting, like my plan was to talk about your book in the first half and then the politics in the second half. But since you spent this much time uh, talking about the politics, <laughs> I, say, I, I say we just talk about it for another like 10 or 12 minutes and then we get to your uh, book. You know, we, we okay. just do it in reverse order than we plan. But uh, something that you said that I think was really true and uh, should be expanded on is that they're more scared of Sanders winning than they are of Trump winning. And um, personally, I think that that's got to be because like there's been many years, but especially in the last four years with social media and the mainstream legacy um, access media, there's been a lot of um, butt butt kissing. um, Basically, butt kissing and pandering and relationship building uh, with Hillary um, that happened in 2016 when Trump won. A lot of people who were basically measuring carpets and curtains in the White House basically were were out. People like um, Jameel Smith, you know, you could tell he was probably angling for something. A lot of people were were angling maybe to get rewarded by Hillary winning, and when it didn't happen, they were ass out. But those people get a chance to do it again in 2020. But on top of that, for the four years in between, they get to kind of rebrand as the resistance. Like, okay, so we're mm-hmm. not going to be a bunch of reporters and politicians and pundits with access to whoever's in the White House, but at least we'll be part of this uh, resistance grift, you know? But, but like, that's the worst that they fare when whoever they're backing and whoever they've been kissing up to doesn't win. They, they get to kind of rebrand as a new resistance part uh, party or whatever and try again in four years. But Sanders winning a real losing for them because that changes the whole structure, the Democratic Party. Like, like they, then they these people really have no home. They lose their whole the whole structure that's giving them power and re- relevance. Like all the people, including the black misleadership class, is kind of asked out. They they can't work with Trump. And now this is a Democratic Party where people like uh, Breonna Joy Gray and Nina Turner are the preferred black voices and not um, say Zelina Maxwell and, and Jamil Smith. So sure. I, th- I think for them, they think 
all we have to do is just if if Sanders wins, this changes the face of the Democratic Party um, here on out. And they know Sanders is not going to give them um, anything or any place, but especially based on how they uh, have been treating him. With Trump wins, they just lose for four years and just just lick their wounds, do some resistance gri- resistance grifting f- till 2024, and then try again. Yeah, I think. I love that term, resistance grifting. That's great. I'm going to steal that. Um, I um, I started a hashtag during the uh, uh, Democratic primary, and I, it was called uh, uh, Bernie hating blue check black people. And um, uh, some of the, the people you described were definitely on that list. They were, as we in Black Agenda Report, um, constantly refer to the black misleadership class, the uh, politicians, the pundits, the leaders of uh, well-funded civil rights organizations who are joined, all joined at the hip with the Democratic Party, their uh, professional success, their ability to earn a lot of money, visibility, uh, getting uh, uh, funders to give them money depends on the well-being of the uh, establishment uh, corporate neoliberal wing of the Democratic Party being successful. So you're right, if Bernie Sanders had won, they would be out. There'd be a new group of people and they would not be needed. And the, they play the role of defending the Democratic Party, of hurting Black people in, of uh, keeping uh, uh, people from uh, questioning or demanding or asking any any questions. And uh, so, yes, they would have had a problem if Bernie Sanders had been the nominee and had uh been uh, uh, become president, so uh, they are uh, they are a huge problem. They are well, the Democratic Party is a problem. They are the obstacle, and they are their helpers, and they give them cover in uh, the black community. And black people are, um, in general, risk averse. And black politics now, for for a variety of reasons, has become uh, it, it amounts to. Nothing more than keeping Republicans out of office, not um, uh, expressing our needs, not having our own agenda, not making our own demands. And we have been convinced that if we do those things on our behalf, that the Democrats will lose. And the only way to keep the enemy party, the white people's party, out of power is just to uh, uh, get behind the Democrats and in the presidential election, get behind the person that we are told is most likely to win. So the same people who in 2016 in, insisted that Hillary Clinton was going to win and there was no problem and there was no doubt in their minds that Trump had no chance to win, these same people are now telling us that Biden is more electable. And um, the propaganda, and it's just like some kind of hypnosis almost, is so complete that nobody says, wait a minute, aren't you the same people who insisted that Trump had no chance and wasn't going to win? That's the most amazing thing that these people have not lost any credibility since that no. uh, misreading 2016 election so badly. Yeah, well, that, that's where Russiagate came in. Uh, it's not their fault. There's nothing for them to explain. It was some evil dictator in another country who used $50,000 worth of Facebook memes and uh, 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 discouraged black people from voting in Michigan. And if you hear that enough uh, year after year after year, and uh, the people who can debunk that are kept uh, out of public discourse, well, then you believe it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I joke 
uh, so I was gonna say the most dangerous thing about that Russiagate lies like some of the stories were true, like that fifty thousand dollar Facebook thing, you know. So you're able to take that that little truth and then exaggerated to something else because even if there was a fifty thousand dollar facebook campaign fifty thousand dollars is like nothing that's not enough to (laughs) move that that many uh move the needle that much and also as if black people don't have enough valid reasons to do what they did like like it really comes down to just a small fifty thousand dollar campaign that somehow affected black people all across the country in every voting district including boomers yeah, it was um not only that the 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 Facebook ads from uh the Russian company basically it's just clickbait. They um get people they get attention talking about hot button issues and people click on ads and they make money. And most of the $50,000 by the way was spent after election day. So <laughs> so this <laughs> Yeah, that's how I go on. There's no, it just doesn't make any sense. And, a funny thing um, about left, a funny thing about liberal scapegoating is how powerless they act. They are, they act like they are. Like, okay, there's a fifty thousand uh, dollar Facebook clickbait scheme that you know supposedly swayed so much of the election, but meanwhile, you guys control all the media, like a billion, if not trillion dollar uh, industry. You. you monopolize like the mainstream legacy media and the punditry yes. but but sorry are you telling me that fifty thousand dollars uh, <laughs> equals or outmatches same as susan sarandon susan sarandon is one celebrity and they act like and she's not even like the most uh hottest no, current she's, celebrity no, but, she but, isn't. Me, but meanwhile if you look at the celebrity complex they had backing hillary clinton it's it's ridiculous and and susan sarandon even poked fun at it she listed every single celebrity that was for hillary and said apparently you know i i should tell my agent like you know I'm, I'm more influential and harder than, than all these people. <laughs> well, you're absolutely right. And uh, but that's propaganda. That's that's all that it is. And Hillary Clinton raised a billion dollars, more than a billion dollars. And on election night in 2016, Democrats should have snatched pitchforks and marched on her house because she just she screwed it up. Um, she I believe she spent most of 2016 concerned about her legal troubles caused by uh, her hiding her emails. And I believe that's where she put her energy. And the very basic uh, work of uh, a voter outreach campaign, they just didn't bother with. So 78,000 votes. Uh, they lost uh, uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. That's how she lost the Electoral College. 78,000 votes. How do you raise a billion dollars and you can't get 78,000 more votes? I mean, that's absurd. Um, but that's why there was a need to stoke the Russiagate um, myth because they had a lot to uh, try to explain uh, away. And um, it's it's been very valuable. Now they've moved on to China and they sound like Trump. Uh, the COVID-19 is the fault of the Chinese. And um, uh, by the way, there's None of that is true. The Chinese government informed the World Health Organization at the end of December that this new disease had emerged. They identified the genome in January, shared it with the world. So the Chinese did what they were supposed to do uh, in informing everybody about the virus. But now the Democrats being corrupt and being uh, shameless and unethical and also being stupid have decided to seize on something that Trump said in order to... uh, uh, help uh, Joe Biden's fortune, this man who can barely read from a teleprompter and clearly has some kind of health issue who is being set up to lose. And the left is already being set up to be blamed for his loss. 
Yeah, but but uh, liberals are screwed either way because even with Biden running, it's almost better for them to have Biden lose and then just scapegoat the left and have Biden win. If if Biden wins, it has four years of um those type of gaps and whatever. I think not only you know does he risk being a uh, one-term president, but their credibility is going to be um, so shot. But I mean. They'll probably find someone else to scapegoat again, but I mean, yes, we'll, they will. We'll see. But I want to ask uh, one last question before we move on talking about your book, and this comes from um, one of our patrons, uh, Jamal. But he said, "What could Sanders have done differently to build a stronger coalition with Black voters during his 2020 run?" And did she agree with her colleague, the late Bruce Dixon, who said in 2015? that Sanders is a sheepdog candidate who plays the role of, I quote, hurting activist energies and the disaffected left back into the Democratic fold one more time. So it's kind of a twofold uh, question. And I know in your own writings, you've kind of had an up and down view of Sanders from 2016 till now. Yeah, he, uh, well, yes, um, that uh, piece that the late Bruce Dixon wrote is, uh, as they, as we say in journalism, evergreen. He wrote it in 2015. Uh, that uh, there are progressive Democrats who play this role in uh, when there is no Democratic incumbent running of uh, being the more progressive candidate and uh, getting excitement from the people who are generally marginalized uh, in a presidential election, but then just herding them back into the party fold and getting them to support uh, whichever horrible person emerges uh, at uh, the end of the primary process. Uh, and as far as um, Bernie Sanders concerned, I don't know why he bothered running. I think in 2016, he wanted to push Hillary Clinton to the left. I, I think he was surprised by his success in 2016. But having been through that, I assumed he was really serious about wanting to be president this time around. But he did not have the courage of his convictions. I don't know uh, uh, if he was naive. These people, the ruling classes, they're, they're not sitting around and going to let somebody who's even a little bit left uh, become president. So of course there was propaganda against him and a lot and black people were used in that way. It was very difficult for him to get his message through to black people uh, when the black misleaders were so uh, closely allied with the Democratic Party establishment. So for example, uh, we were told, well, you know, you might want Medicare for all. And by the way, these are things black people want and need. Black people don't need student loan uh, relief from student loan debt. Of course we do. But we were told, well, you may want that, but white people don't want it and you can't trust them to vote for Bernie Sanders. And being risk averse and having this politics now that's based just on fear, uh, even if black people wanted those things, were afraid to support him because we were convinced that he couldn't win and therefore we would have Trump again. I think we will have Trump again anyway. Um, but, um, you know, and Sanders did have some weaknesses with black voters. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of an, an untangible thing to me. There are people who would say he doesn't get race and he talks about class and not enough about race. But um, uh, we have supported people who were very racist, like Bill Clinton, who seemed to have this connection with Black people. So I I don't know what that meant. It wasn't something that was convincing to me. Uh, I also had issues with uh, Sanders about foreign policy. He um, always supported imperialist uh, 
foreign policy and U.S. aggression against the rest of the world. Uh, he fell into this trap. They used Russia against him late in the primary campaign. Uh, allegedly, the, the intelligence uh, analysis would show the Russians preferred him. And then a few days later, they were like, oh, well, actually, that report overstated the case. But, you know, he, he you know, fell for the okie doke again. Um and said, I, you know, he didn't like Putin and Xi Jinping's an authoritarian in the whole nine yards, rather than standing up for himself and for his people. And by yeah, finally- yeah, his, his his surrogates have been far more dogged about these things than he has. Like uh, Rihanna yeah. Gray and Nina Turner are still like doggedly fighting. But even before he um, bowed out, he was really going easy on uh, Joe Biden. Meanwhile, the DNC has showed that they have no problems tearing down the whole party for four years just to keep him out. Oh, absolutely. And he, I think he was afraid of being blamed uh, as he was last time, that it was his fault, Trump. It's everybody's fault except the people who had the billion dollars to defeat Donald Trump. But uh, he didn't want to be blamed again. And uh, and he caved and basically repu- in, this, in, in endorsing Biden, uh, reputed, repudiated everything he claimed to believe in. So I think the positive to come out of this should be that people know we cannot depend on the electoral process alone to advance uh, uh, left-wing causes and and policy initiatives. There has to be something outside of the electoral arena. Uh, We have to to figure out how to return to movement politics because that is what moves the needle. That is what brings about change when uh, positive change has come up. So no more sheepdogging of uh, people. He and uh, Tulsi Gabbard, both of them, uh, turned their back. There was a slap in the face to people who, especially Sanders, people took time off from work and drove to Iowa and New Hampshire to canvas for him. I mean, gave up parts of their lives. And then at the end, he just, you know, falls for the okie doke. So uh, I hope there's a lesson there. And I, that should be the silver lining that people know not to let that happen again. And um I know I said that'd be the last question before we got to your book, but you raised something that made me want to ask this one last follow-up question. And what do you think is the path going forward for, because what you just brought up is really true. These people gave up a lot and I doubt they're going to just drop it, fall in line now. So based on what you said, even that he uh, worked up all these people who gave up a lot and who um, are still fighting for him, even when he stopped fighting for himself, what do you think is the path forward for you know, the general um, American left that kind of was formed in the aftermath of Sanders and, and particularly the subgroups like, say, like the white left versus, say, the black left who kind of are at odds a lot, you know, over these class versus identity things where some people, you know, were like over for, some black leftists are like we're for Sanders, but these white leftists have to really chill with the uh, class reductionists. And, and, you know, there's some white people yeah, who are yeah. mad at, at black boomers in South Carolina and thinking that we need to just give up identity politics like even more you know like so i want to know your idea of what the overall left uh, should do and also how to reconcile um any of these internal frictions between white and non-white leftists that you know could get in the way of what they have to do i think the the left have to leave the democratic party um what i was hoping despite my uh issues with bernie sanders uh i hoped that he would stay in it 
um, longer and that there would perhaps be some fight at the convention and uh, that the theft would be obvious and that progressives would, uh, therefore, whatever he did, progressives would know that they had to fight against the Democratic Party. Uh, but that's not the way it happened. They, Obama and others, they got the others to drop out. They decided to go with Biden, um, uh, Sanders, because he, you know, wasn't that serious after all. He just folded, and so that wasn't going to happen. But I think the left have to. We have to realize we have to leave the Democratic Party. I, I personally am a member of the Green Party. I think we we must uh, build a strong Labor Party, a Workers Party, a Peace Party. Uh, um, uh, that's what we we need. A party that really works in the interest of the people that doesn't that's not beholden to corporate interests. And uh, it's hard for people to do because they're always afraid of being a spoiler. Um, the system is hostile to third parties. But my response to that is not if we all give up the Democrats. Uh, and I hope that people seriously do that. And, and Trump is so awful. And I, I you know, know people now who were saying the things I'm saying now, but that now, you know, every time Trump says something stupid about COVID, you know, drink disinfectant or, you know, or whatever, or sends his rednecks out with assault rifles to protest or uh, whatever it is he does. They're like, well, we just, we have to vote for Biden. And um, my answer to that is we must get rid of these people. We must get rid of the Democratic Party. They are death. They're death to us. And there has to be a real left. People can't think they're left because they're Democrats or think they're left because they want Medicare for all. You have to define what left really is. And, 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 the, um, other part, oh, and the other part of the question about the internal frictions, particularly as far as like... Um, Black leftists and white leftists, because because that's one recurring theme I saw during this campaign was those kind of tensions about. Yes. Well, I think um, it's most important for black people to really be left to ask to study. What does it mean to be on the left? Get our house in order first. Um, uh, what is it to be left? What does it mean to be involved in the electoral system? Should you be involved in the electoral system? How do black people assert independence and uh, assert our our rights and talk about what we need. We need to get our house in order first before we uh, start, um, uh, before we uh, spend a lot of time and energy debating uh, about the white left, most of whom aren't very left anyway, and and take the lead. Uh, that is how we get what we want. The you know everybody brags about the civil rights movement, but it was people who who created a political crisis who made that happen. Uh, people who couldn't, who didn't have the right to vote, who got everyone the right to vote because of this mass movement. Uh, and they didn't care if Kennedy didn't like them. They didn't care if Johnson told them not to march. They did it anyway. And that is what we have to remember. If we're going to brag about the 60s so much, let's do what those people did. Uh, that is the answer. And of course, in so doing, then Black people brought along the rest of the country. So we spawned an environmental movement, which um, created the EPA. Nixon created the EPA because Republicans were tar targeted for defeat and they lost. And uh, there were millions of people uh, protesting about the environment and uh, right before the first Earth Day 50 years ago. So that all started with this, with the civil rights movement, with the liberation movement. And that's what we have to do again.
We've got to take that leadership position in the left and resurrect mass movement politics. Great. So uh, let's get to let's get to your book. Uh, if you could tell us like the title of your book, what it's about, what made you write it? Was it um, meant to tie tie in and coincide with the election cycle or did it just happen to turn out that way? Yes, well, my book is Prejudential, Black America and the Presidents. Uh, it was published by Steerforth Press uh, in February. And it's um, uh, 45 chapters, one for each, each president, analyzing uh, uh, each president's relationship with or uh, and treatment of Black people. This um, uh, project began... Um, I, I wrote a column about Theodore Roosevelt and his racism and a a friend and supporter of Black Agenda Report suggested I write about all the presidents. Um, and uh, this is, uh, so this was an effort to tell, to teach uh, the history we don't know. And um, in, in doing the research for this book, I realized how often historians lie. Most historians are most interested in affirming the system we have and not in telling the truth. So they, So they don't tell you that um, uh, 10 of the first 12 presidents were slaveholders. They don't tell you that Abraham Lincoln, far from being the great emancipator, uh, was not um, uh, that much anti-slavery. He wanted to save the union. He also wanted black people out of the country. That uh, uh, people like FDR, the, the Democratic Party was for decades the party of the segregated South. So FDR and John Kennedy and uh, other Democrats would always make that their excuse when asked to pass anti-lynching legislation or uh, civil rights legislation. They would use the South as their excuse for not doing the right thing. And uh, that the, uh, this appeal of racism uh, for presidential candidates goes up to Bill Clinton and, and Barack Obama, Clinton um, executing a, a mentally disabled black man in 1992, uh, the sister soul John moment of embarrassing Jesse Jackson, uh, using black prisoners as a photo op, Barack Obama's constant scolding and put downs of black people, throwing Reverend Wright under the bus, all of these things. And then when he became president, bailing out the banks, but not bailing out the people. Um, this shows that races, the appeal of racism uh, didn't start with Trump. He's just the one who has no, uh, he doesn't observe the niceties. Yeah, he has, and, he has uh, no filter he about it. He, he says a quiet part out loud. Yeah, yeah, there was, um, you know, a... Uh, 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 I'm, I'm blanking on the expression now, but, you know, there are always winks and nudges and uh, dog whistles. But um, Trump just said it. You know, Mexicans are murderers and rapists and we need to build a wall and we need to keep people from shithole countries from coming into the to the United States. And he appealed uh, to millions of people. He's the one who created excitement in 2016. He got two million more votes than Mitt Romney did in 2012. And uh, Hillary Clinton was uh, so stupid and so crooked that she couldn't do very simple things to uh, eke out a victory. But um, uh, but racism is part and parcel of the presidency. Everything everything from slaveholding to defending slaveholdery holding to um, uh, the uh, reconstruction not being defended and black people being abandoned and uh, being abandoned again during the years of Jim Crow and the reaction against the civil rights movement 
all of those things play out in uh, presidential politics. Uh, But the lesson, um, as I just said, is that uh, Black people fare the best. When we create a political crisis, when the enslaved people ran to union lines and turned the Civil War into a war against slavery, when people in the 60s created the crisis um, uh, during the civil rights movement, all of these things show that it's we're the ones who make things happen. And uh, if we fail to do so, the um, regardless of their personal feelings for Black people, the inertia created by the system makes res, uh, presidents de facto white supremacists in their policies. So, um, of course, excuse me, of course, I think everybody should buy the book. Um, so you can order it from steerforthpress.com or Amazon if you don't have issues with Amazon. Um, there's a paperback, an audiobook, a Kindle edition, and it's uh, very readable. People tell me that it, uh, that which is obviously what I wanted. It's not too long. It's almost 200 pages, so it's not uh, very long. Someone told me it's a brisk read, which is uh, a good thing. But, yeah, yeah um, it, 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 it is. I actually was able to read it in a, in a day. I started it um, yesterday, and I was done with it by today. And that wasn't like a full day of reading yesterday. I was like um, at the end of my workday yesterday going through to this morning. Uh, and that is your voice. Uh, narrating it right is that you yes it is yeah uh you know what i noticed uh i was listening to it because th- this is what i this is what i uh do um amazon kindle has this thing where you can read the book but have the audiobook playing in the background and it actually moves the page as you get through the audiobook so what i was doing was i, I was listening and then i would highlight certain things in the book and i was so i had both at once the, the print version and the voice and i noticed your voice got more animated in the barack obama part <laughs> he's a little bit <laughs> angry <laughs> and i'm telling you we listen to it because you were very cool and clinical but then the barack obama part i i know she got pretty uh, <laughs> uh, uh he, he, heated so i, I want to ask uh did you have a high expectation for obama because that seemed like you know almost no, like, a, jil- like a jilted lover tone like talking about <laughs> like, you know you're no good ex-boyfriend <laughs> Well, I think uh, I think there are two things going on. We did go in chronological order in recording the books. So I think I became more comfortable towards the end. But I, I do have a, a special um, uh, animus. I guess I should just use word against Obama. I did not have any expectation of him. I did not vote for him. I knew that um, that he won, that he was able to raise half a million dollars. He raised 10 times as much as John McCain did. And that told you where his interests we're going to lie uh, with Wall Street, with the banks, uh, with, with the financial services industry and not with us. And by his um, demeaning Black people and dismissing Black people, it told me everything was going to happen with him. And uh, I, I think his presidency was a setback for Black people politically because we essentially gave up Black politics. It was dying anyway. And then Black politics amounted to nothing more than defending him. And a lot of opposition to him was very racist. So every time some, you know, cracker congressman would, uh, uh, you know, heckle him at a speech or call him tar baby or or whatever, uh, everybody... um, 
joined in defending this man who they should not have defended. And what were we left with at the end? People were happy to see a lovely Black first lady and see them at uh, state dinners and, you know, him getting off Air Force One and all these trappings of uh, the office. Uh, yeah, which yeah. Are used and, and, to and get I think our his support. wife, I think his wife, uh, his, his African-American wife and his daughters were his biggest assets uh, in addition to being like, you know, a black president, because I think it wasn't just an image of him, but his whole family that to this day, people really romanticize, have a lot of trouble, um, you know, letting go. And, and we saw that with uh, Joe Biden, like Joe Biden was basically almost on his way out of the election. But when they saw that he could get all that um black support and when they asked a lot of people they said it was because he was obama's number two like we're still feeling the effects today like basically they said look we're gonna need black support and even our number ones twos and threes in, in the election right now Buttigieg, by uh um warren and, and and whoever they're basically polling nil or getting no results with uh black people they knew all the white people who were all the white centrists who were voting for those three would fall in line to vote for Biden or whoever was the uh, establishment Democratic candidate. But Biden is the one who could deliver the black votes, especially the black boomer votes, who are the black people who vote the most. And that was due to Obama. Like there was nothing else going on with Biden that would no, sway nothing. black boomers like that. No, no. Uh, it was the Obama uh, effect. It was the fear of, um, you know, being convinced that uh, Sanders was going to hurt the party and would lose to Trump. All of these things um, added to um, uh, this this coalescing around uh, Joe Biden. And uh, but but you're right about uh, the overall impact of the imagery. I mean, this is very powerful imagery. I mean, people still talk about Camelot and the Kennedys and you know, it's like a, the uh, the first family is like an American royal family, but this time they were black, and and uh, he had this. I and I remember in the early days, people being impressed that his wife A was black and that she was dark skinned, and people were like, oh, his wife isn't light skinned. I mean, it was kind of crazy at times. Yeah. I don't know if you recall any of that. No, no, I, but, I totally recall. Yeah, yeah, and um, all of it was, and he he has. Um, I will say this for Obama. He has political skill. He's one of these politicians who really knows how to connect with people uh, who can be both has that ability to be both smart, but also connect with ordinary people. So he's got the political skills. He had the amazing marketing team behind him and uh, they knew how to amplify all of these things. The corporate media loved him. When people say, you know, well, Obama never had a scandal. Well, that's proof that the media are covering for you because I can think of things that should have been considered scandals that uh, happened uh, under the Obama administration. So uh, all of these things um, work together in combination to uh, to make him an untouchable for the rest of his life uh, among black people. And they, you know, still it's I remember that last year he was in office. And even when people thought Hillary Clinton was going to win, people said, I'm going to miss Obama. I can't believe he won't be president again. I mean, that's the way it works. You get two terms. I but not liking him. It was easy for me to say that. And I, I didn't feel this connection with him, but it was very deadly for black people and deadly for black politics. We really have a lot of work to do. And, and when I say black politics, I don't just mean black politicians. I mean having a politics that asserts the rights of black people and that um, uh, is uh, uninhibited and talking about what we need. 
Uh, agreed. I, I'll tell you my favorite chapters of the book because it's very thorough. You give one chapter for each president, but you also don't make it too long or academic. It's pretty much um, just the facts. It's a very engaging prose. It's not a dry academic prose. And you give a lot of footnotes for people who want to go um, more in depth. So, you know, I, I like that. And my favorite uh, chapters was the George Washington one because uh, I'm not saying I had any high ideals about George Washington, but some things in it surprised me that 90% of people with the surname Washington are uh, black people. And and it's not all because they were either descended for him, from him or uh, their ancestors were owned by Washingtons. But a lot of them just chose that name because it was considered like the most American name and that it was a way... For a lot of people, like Booker T. Washington, for example, you know, uh, to feel like a part of this country. So that was, and I didn't think about it till you said it, but I was like, yeah, that is the blackest, probably the blackest name in America. Washington. Yes, it is. And I mean, when you think about names like Jefferson and Jackson, too, it's the same. Uh, black people have fewer last names, if that makes sense. There are more, we have names that are very common amongst the group and are likely to be names for black people, which is problematic. It's one of the things that makes crosscheck so successful. Successful that I mentioned before. But yeah, uh, but Washington was, um, you know, anti, one of the things I've, uh, I'm really in touch with now after having researched this book is that anti-Black racism is foundational to this country. And uh, George Washington, the father of our country, um, so-called, he and his wife owned several hundred people. Um, the maintenance of chattel slavery, uh, keeping physical control and even ownership at that time of Black people was the need to do that was so strong. They created a new city, a new capital city in slave territory. The first capital was New York City. Then it moved to Philadelphia. Then they built a new city on a swamp between Maryland and Virginia. And this was, they needed to do that because when uh, Washington was president in Philadelphia, he had a problem. Philadelphia had a law that any enslaved person in Pennsylvania for more than six months could become free. So Washington had to rotate people and uh, no one was allowed to stay in Philadelphia for more than six months lest they be freed. So, uh, that is an example of the problems they had unless the capital was physically located in those states that um, really depended on the plantation economy. And he was, one of the things I want people to get out of this book is uh, we need to become used to rejecting the iconography we've been given. Uh, all yeah, these guys they received, faces, they received wisdom. Yeah, a lot of yeah, yeah. Wisdom. Their faces are on the money. Um, we have a President's Day. Schools are named after them. Cities, states are named after them. Um, but, speaking of the faces on the money, uh, the Andrew Jackson uh, chapter I thought was very good because Andrew Jackson uh, they wanted to put him on the 20 daughter bill next to Harriet Tubman, like like not even take him off and replace him fully with Harriet Tubman, but they would be sharing it. And when you read your chapter on Andrew Jackson, you realize how horrifying it is to put him next to Harriet Tubman on the same bill. Yeah. People ask me, having finished the book, who do I think the worst president was for Black people? And I have to say it was Andrew Jackson. Uh, he was the one who truly made uh, manifest the genocide, uh, first against the Indians in the Southeast, uh, kicking them off, out of their lands. 
uh, Indian Removal Act and making opening those states for the plantation economy and creating a hell on earth for black people. Um, but, uh, but let's just remember something. When the proposal first came up to put a woman on uh, the money and people said Harriet Tubman and uh, that she should be on the $20 bill, I happen to think it doesn't honor her to put her on money. Money was the cause of her suffering. But in any case, uh, they said it should be Harriet so, so, so Tubman. You, so, you, so even if she's by herself, it would be an insult. Yeah, I, I don't. I think that's an insult to her. Uh, but but it was during the Obama administration that they said, no, no, we're not taking Jackson off. We're just going to add her to and one side will be Jackson and one side will be her. So now people act like Trump is the one keeping Harriet Tubman off the money uh, when it was the Obama administration that said she should share this woman who uh, uh, was one of the leaders in the fight against slavery should share this alleged honor with the man who made chattel slavery uh, the political force that it was and the reality that it was for the four million enslaved people. So and that's, and that's very uh, that's very emblematic of a lot of Obama's legacy in general, as far as a lot of his half half measures. Uh, during his presidency, paved the way to make it a lot easier for a lot of Trump's outright reversals. Sure. Oh, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, you see it in um, in foreign policy. He's the one who started sanctions against Venezuela. Uh, Trump is the one who has ramped it up so much so that they're killing thousands of Venezuelans. Uh, he was the one who destroyed Libya. He was the one who really perfected the uh, regime change policy. They attempted to do the same thing against Syria and fortunately failed. It's a good thing that Russia helped the Syrian government. Uh, but uh, but yes, absolutely. He's the one who helped the ruling classes. You know, they whenever there's something they know we won't want, they always claim it's temporary. So Bush uh, had uh, temporary, enacted temporary tax cuts for rich people. Well, Obama made them permanent. Uh, Obama practiced austerity. He's the one who made these budget-cutting proposals to the Republicans. And Mitch McConnell and, and the like were so racist, they didn't want the... That's the only reason they said no. They didn't want to give the Black Democrat the, the credit. But he was ready to... He said, everything's on the table, including Social Security. I don't know if you uh, remember the first debate he had with um, Mitt Romney when he didn't do so well, one of the first things out of his mouth was about cutting Social Security. And I think I Governor Romney will agree with me. We must look at this. And then people act like he was the one saving them from the barbarians when he is, in fact, one of the barbarians. And it makes sense because um, uh, Biden's on the record as um, being having problems with Social Security. And he was able to just lie about it and Sanders, you know, didn't really beat the drum on it like he should have. He just like, well, get, well, people look it up for yourselves. Check to the audience. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, um, absolute, and that's what they use Democrats to do. Uh, President Bush, Bush forty one, couldn't get NAFTA passed, but uh, Bill Clinton could. Uh, Republicans yeah, crime, couldn't. Crime uh, bill? Uh, no, NAFTA, the uh, trade bill with uh, Mexico oh, 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 and Canada. Oh, 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 no, I agree, but I was adding the example of the crime bill. Oh, I see. Another, yes, yes, it, it, yes. That's all of thing. it. Oh, yeah, that was one of the things, horrible things that Clinton did. And uh, um, they, you know, Republicans dreamed, conservatives dreamed about uh, getting rid of the right to welfare. Well, it's Clinton, a Democrat, who actually got it done. Yeah, that's and, another uh, one. Yes, yeah, yeah, so it's a NAFTA, crime bill, welfare. Yeah, a lot of times they use the Clinton S type Democrats to get that horrendous sure. stuff. Sure, and, and that's what they'll do done. with Biden. That's what they'll do with Biden, too, should he become uh, become president. 
That's a great point. He, they will do that a lot under under Biden. My favorite chapters are the ones that took somebody that, you know, you pretty much already thought of would be a racist and then surprised you with just how bad they actually were. And then the chapters that took sacred cows of, you know, either black people or the left kind of surprised you on them. You know, the ones that where the person was racist, but they were pretty much as racist as you'd expect. Like, for example, um, Andrew Johnson. I mean, that was pretty much what I expected. You couldn't tell me anything that would surprise me by Andrew Johnson, you know. But uh, George Washington was one of the ones that was worse than I thought. John Adams. Jo- John Adams being involved in a case against uh, the dead Crispus addicts, like, you know, disparaging him was i was like wow i didn't expect that thomas jefferson was pretty much as bad as i thought he would be james Madison was one of the ones that you know was more more surprising than i thought james monroe was pretty much as bad as i thought he would be i mean once you had the monroe doctrine named after you that one was wouldn't surprise me jackson was as bad as i thought he would be martin van buren and a lot of people like that exposed me to a trend that i kind of didn't realize i didn't realize how many ex-presidents actually used to be abolitionists like like martin van buren and ulysses grant how many of them were actually turning their back on abolitionist upbringings like it's very easy just to think of every white person except for john brown and the hand others as just being pro-slavery but uh, abolitionism i kind of realized from your book was a lot more popular than occurred more often than uh people think and a lot of presidents there were a lot of them that turned their back on abolitionist youth or like ulysses grant had staunchly abolitionist um, parents, and he was actually almost disowned for not living up to his abolitionist upbringing, things like that. Yeah. Very surprising. Uh, Van Buren was a Northern Democrat. Uh, his father did uh, was a slaveholder, but then he, um, uh, when he was a state senator in New York State, he was in favor of giving uh, the franchise to free black men. And this was used against him later on when he uh, uh, ran for president. But then he said, oh, no, no, I was not an abolitionist, not at, at all. Um, there were other presidents that, uh, um, that you uh, mentioned. Ulysses S. Grant, yes, his father was an abolitionist. And, uh, there was another was- example I forgot of somebody who blatantly lied. Did a Clinton-esque, like, uh, abolitionist didn't mean 20 years ago what it uh, means, means yes, today. Yes, yes, yes. There were, there were those in that. Uh, uh, category. Uh, I believe uh, now I have to look it up. Yes, William Henry Harrison. Uh, he yeah, has the was... sh- shortest term in office, only 30 days. He gave a long inauguration speech in the pouring rain and came down with pneumonia and died. But um, he, uh, as a young man, he claimed to, he joined an abolitionist society. But then when he wanted to run for president, he was like, well, you know, the word abolitionist doesn't mean uh didn't mean then what we take it to mean now. No, 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 I'm not against slavery. So if any of them were, and Ulysses Grant, uh, his father was uh, an abolitionist and um, was, um, John Brown was an apprentice uh, under his father, an an irony, but uh, he married into a slaveholding family in Missouri. And uh, now he did, um, uh, during the Civil War, he is one of the people who should be credited with the, the all-out uh, 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 war that uh, that is what it took to end slavery in this country. But uh, all of these people, they may have at a certain point in their lives, Rutherford B. Hayes, known as Rutherford, who lost the uh, uh, popular vote, but um, won the electoral vote when black uh, voters were disenfranchised at, in 1876. He was um, a union general. He was an abolitionist in his youth, but he made this deal 
uh, to become president, which included taking the last federal troops out of uh, the South and starting the end, uh, which began the end of Reconstruction. So whatever people thought when they were young, however they were raised, when they realized they uh, had these ambitions, these political ambitions, they threw Black people under the bus. And that was true then, and it is still true now. Yeah, my other type of favorite chapter was ones that kind of take a lot of sacred cows of liberals, both Black and white, and kind of add a little more nuance. So whether it's um, Abraham Lincoln or John F. Kennedy, a lot of Black people, especially older Black people, boomers, have a picture of the Kennedys in their in their household. Yeah, Kennedys and, and King, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and, and Obama, uh, of course, was we already discussed. He's one of the kind of the sacred cows that you um, throw a little water on. Those are among my other uh, favorite chapters in the book. But what I would like to ask you is, what were your favorite or more surprising um, chapters to write and and why? Like the chapters you liked the most and the chapters that were the most surprising, like, like you learned the most from, like what you went into the president uh, expecting was very different than uh, what you actually found, for better or worse. Well, I'd say Lincoln was my... the favorite chapter. I knew that it was not true that Lincoln was the great emancipator. I knew that he was not he he would he would say things like, you know, if slavery isn't wrong, nothing is wrong. But I I knew he wanted he said himself, if I could keep the union together by keeping slavery, I'll do it or getting rid of slavery, I'll do that too. But um uh he was um one of those presidents who wanted to get black people out of the country, quite literally. Uh there were many it was called colonization. Uh many presidents in favor of uh of doing that, but uh I was always taught that he started out being a, a, in favor of colonization, but he changed his mind. He never changed his mind. In fact, there was an actual colony set up in uh, off the coast of Haiti. So there were proposals to send Black people to Central America, uh, and those governments protested. And there was actually, uh, briefly, a colony, and uh, it's called Ila Vash, Cow Island, off the coast of Haiti, and several hundred people were sent there. The colony failed. They weren't provisioned well. People died of illnesses. The survivors were brought back. But he always tied colonization to emancipation, always. So he signed um, the this uh, order creating this colony uh, in Haiti the day before he signed the Emancipation Proclamation. And uh, I, I think it what, what it brought home to me is um, the degree to which we are lied to. Um, most historians are more interested in elevating the subjects uh, of their history and of affirming the system. So all of this, I you know, this did not come from a top secret archive. If you if you research any of these people with a discerning eye, you will come up with this information. But most historians don't want us to know it. And so there is a kind of, uh, not kind of, there is collusion in lying about um, the history of this country. Uh, and uh, the, you know, the job of historians should be to tell us history, not to hide it from us, but it's hard to defend, it's hard to defend America unless you cover up, unless you lie. Because if you tell the truth, the truth is very ugly. So um, I think that was, aside from the details of uh, these people and what they did, it was understanding the degree to which the depth of the lies we are told um, about them. John Adams, for example, the second president, one of the few of the early presidents who was from the North, 
And he bragged that he never held a slave, but he hated free Black people, hated. And he wanted Black people out of the country. And yes, he did defend the British soldiers uh, at the Lexington Massacre and blamed every all of it on Crispus Attucks. Um, and uh, that is the, the pattern we see. Monroe, you mentioned Monroe. The capital of Liberia is Monrovia. It's named after him. He won, he's another one. Uh, that was an actual colonization scheme uh, where Black Americans were sent to uh, uh, what's now Liberia. So um, I, I think it's, it's important to, you know, when we read the newspaper, if you read the New York Times, you listen to NPR, you read a history book, you must always assume there's something being kept from you. And if it's anything that shows the power structure in a negative light, just assume that's true. And most people go along with it. You know, and uh, when Trump was first elected in 2017, there was, um, I'm going to call it a riot. Nobody uses that word, but uh, white supremacists in Charlottesville, Virginia, when there were proposals to uh, take down uh, Confederate monuments there. And uh, the issue of monuments and who should be honored and if so, why so, and who should be or should not be, when that uh, issue came up, Trump said, uh, he said, well, how's this going to end? Jefferson and Washington own slaves. Are you going to take down their monuments? And the New York Times surveyed their readers and only 4% of their readers thought that those monuments should come down. So um, the propagandists have done their job. Americans don't like to think of themselves as propagandized, but we are. And um, people who otherwise consider themselves enlightened or liberal or humane or something will defend uh, honoring people who participated in genocide. Sides. That's and, the only and, you know, way to call them. Yeah, and that's uh, one of the reasons why I told you. I told you while I was going through your book, while I was reading it um, today, I said that this uh, reminds me. This makes me think of the play Hamilton, where they actually have now black people playing and be great, being grateful to play um, a lot of these people who are even more horrifying than uh, a lot of us would assume. Like, like reading the, the chapters in the founders was. Um, you know, really reinforce that. And we have people who actually think of like Hamilton and the chance for black people to play a whitewashed version of uh, these founders, these slave owners, these slave owners as some great stride forward for black people and, and in honor, you know? So uh, I will tell people, people who really enjoyed um, that Hamilton episode, which it's, which to this day, I think is our most popular episode. You would really enjoy uh, this book because it lends a lot of color uh, to what we talked about in that episode. Yeah, I have not, I'm one of the, I'm so far, partly as a result of uh, researching a book, <laughs> I am very par far behind for popular culture. I'm one of the few people who never saw a production of Hamilton who doesn't know any of the songs. So I was only vaguely aware. I knew Lin-Manuel Miranda. I believe he portrays Hamilton himself. Is that correct? Yeah, he portrays Hamilton. A black person portrays um, George Washington and a black person portrays uh, George Jefferson. And there are there are no slaves really in it or they're discussed in the sides. But but the, but the only time uh, somebody acting as a slave appears is a woman with no lines who uh, appears as Sally Hemings and does like a cheeky little dance in front of Thomas Jefferson before disappearing. And 
she was a victim of child rape, basically. Yes, absolutely. In the and they kind of do like a, they just mention as a cheeky aside, like a, a little wink at the audience that that was his uh his his lover, you know. And he says, "Hey Sally, can you take a letter?" And she does like this sexy little dance and then disappears. And I was like, "Wow, that's really this uh disrespectful." Well, you know, I have not seen this either, but Ishmael Reed um uh produced uh uh I, I believe he he wrote the play um uh that answers um. Uh, response to many of the things you just pointed out. Uh, it's called The Haunting of Lynn Manuel Miranda. I don't know if you've yeah, had and, him and on. Credit or... be, and credit be due, I used a lot of his articles and researching that episode. So uh, he has been on this beat for a while. I, I used his, his insights to even do uh, the episode that I did. Oh, great, great. Yeah, and I, I haven't seen that either. But you asked a question, I'm sorry, I realized I skipped over it about uh, uh, the timing for the book. And uh, it just so happened, I finished writing the book in uh, the end of the summer of 2018. And it takes it's about an 18 month process once you finish a book and to actually uh, it being published. And, and it just so happened to be 18 months later it was February of 2020. So it was Black History Month, President's Day month, an election year. Uh, so that was not something I planned. I actually thought I'd finish the book sooner. So had I <laughs> had I been able to finish when I thought I could, it wouldn't have even been uh, uh, February of uh, of 2020. But and you also asked me about the research, and um, yeah, it's something the you know. I'm, I was accustomed to writing commentary, and uh, you know, and I would cite sources when I quoted someone or whatever. But it's it's another thing altogether to make a statement about presidential history. And that requires a lot of research. A lot of it was online, but some of it has to be done in the library. So as many hours at the uh, New York Public Library here in New York or at the Library of Congress in Washington, which I recommend everybody visit and get a researcher card. So uh, yes, I wanted to be able to back up what I said. I, I it couldn't it couldn't just be forty five chapters of this this guy was racist. Uh, I had to back it up. So um, that's. Uh, that was uh, very, very important to me. And I, I think it makes the book a lot more credible. Yeah, I, I agree. And I want to give you a chance to uh, say anything that you feel like you didn't get a chance to say, but would like to share, you know, before we go off, I like to give every guest a, a chance or, or just, you know, give a final plug to your book. It's, it's your it's your call. Okay, cool. I, I will. I'll, I'll give another shameless plug. So the, <laughs> the book is Prejudential, uh, a, a word that the uh, publisher and I uh, came up with ourselves, Prejudential Black American, the Presidents, published by Steerforth Press. You can buy the book on their website, steerforthpress.com, also on Amazon. Uh, once uh, uh, the, these lockdowns are over, you can get it in a bookstore or um, if the bookstore doesn't have it, you can ask them to order it. Um, and uh, I will be I had begun promotional events. I'd gotten eight or nine under my belt before everything started to be canceled. But I'm happy to promote the book anywhere in the country. Um, my, you can reach me on Twitter, Freedom Ride Blog on Twitter, uh, pa- patreon.com slash Margaret Kimberly. And my column appears every week in blackagendareport.com. And you can find my email address there. And um, I just want to thank you and... Uh, I'd like to come back after the election. So after, after November 4th, I'd like to come back and talk to you again. We can talk about the result. 
Okay, great. Wow. So, so you see, it took us a year to get you on. Now you can't wait to come back on. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> <laughs> for the behind the scenes, uh, I had invited Margaret a year before, and it just fell all between the cracks. You were probably writing your book and and stuff. And then yeah, when your book came out, and... yeah, yeah, I said, uh, I said, let me reach out to her again, and I'm glad it worked out. So, so yeah, I would be glad to have you on again. Um, make up for lost time. You can come back uh, after the election. You want to do it uh, shortly after? Sure. Well, yeah, we'll be in we'll be in touch then around uh, election day, and uh, yeah, and I yeah it is I I apologize it takes me a while to get back to people because I also have a full time day job, and that's I, I always tell people who are interested in writing you still have to have a day job, so um, that can make things challenging, but that's that's life. So, uh, but once the um, uh, book was out, I had time to to get back to people, and and frankly, the free time of being on uh, this lockdown. But uh, yeah, we'll so let's be in touch around then. Yeah, yeah, sounds good. Yeah, yeah, the lockdown has helped a lot because I uh, have been doing the same thing. I've been going through a backlog of people I invited on or meant to invite on, and going through that list again. You know, which is how you ended up on t- on today. But yeah, yeah, let's definitely let's definitely do that. I'll be very interested in hearing uh, your thoughts on what happens because I feel like whatever happens is going to be interesting. I mean, the last thing I'll say is I think that the only thing that can really take out Trump right now is the. COVID-19, if, if the narrative about his handling of it gets bad enough, like, I don't think anything that the Democrats do on purpose stands a chance. Like, like if, if Biden it's wins, true. it's just going to be dumb luck from COVID-19 um, fallout, which would be uh, horrible to see them just stumble into dumb luck like that. But Yeah, it's, I, you know, I, I think, yeah, not being Trump, just that's basically all Biden has to say for himself is I'm not Trump. And uh, the pandemic wouldn't have been as bad if I were president because I would have beaten up on China. Um, that is not <laughs> going to get him an election. They need a kick-ass, get-out-the-vote effort. And But I, I also, I just want to remind everybody, uh, in 2016, I did, I knew Trump would get millions of votes. I thought it would be closer than they said, but people who like Trump like him no matter what. And uh, I hope we're not surprised by the degree of support that he maintains. And if you combine that with uh, Democratic Party corruption, he can be president again. Yeah, I I agree. I think it's more likely than not that he wins. He wins again. I'm not totally ruling out Biden, but I think it's Trump's to lose. And yes, it is. And as and, you said, dumb luck. If he wins, it'll be dumb luck. Exactly. All right. So thanks again, uh, Margaret, and we will see you in November. Thank you very much. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.